At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Tom Fox, and today I'm extraordinarily pleased to have with me Ben DeCiani, founder and CEO at Affiliated Monitors. And we're going to talk about something that I don't think gets near enough play in the compliance community, and that is culture as a foundational internal control. So, Ben, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for visiting me on this topic. Good to hear from you, Tom. Ben, what really are, can I just start with, what are your thoughts around culture as a foundational internal control? Yeah, I, it, as you and I've talked about, I think it's a great topic. You think of gin making, you think of what's the driver of behavior in an organization, and it is ethics, and it's the driver of ethical culture. And the way I think of it, and it just comes from experience in talking with people in some of the cases that we have monitored, that sometimes they are facing that ethical dilemma. What do I do? I've got this in front of me and I've got to make a decision. And they'll tell you, I'll go look at the compliance manual and see if it gives me anything. And I heard it in one particular case, but it resounds. And that is, manual is not a Bible. It's not do this, do that. The manual is a roadmap, right? It's a roadmap for direction. Like, what do you do when you are in these situations? So the way I'm looking at it is the driver is the culture and the ethical decision-making that people make. They're the car, and they're looking at the roadmap of the manual. So when you get to the internal control that a company is looking at, it really comes from behavior and decision-making, right? And so that can start as early as orientation. Maybe it's when recruiting occurs, because you're talking about the indoctrination into this culture. So that orientation process is getting people to drink the Kool-Aid of how we think and believe. But that's the way you control decision-making. It starts early on, but it is the driver of behavior in an organization. You're looking at it as as a control, and I think it is a control, but it's not a control in the usual sense, like a third-party practice and what have you. Again, I think it's such an important element that never gets talked about. It's foundational, Tom. And I've heard you give examples where you would go into a company, perhaps as a monitor, perhaps in a proactive approach to assess culture, and pretty quickly you could get a sense of what the culture of a company was. If a company wants to make that cultural shift to to become more ethical and to have the types of values that you and I think drive ethics 
how can they start that process? Again, we always talk about it. It really emanates from the top and it does. But I think more importantly, I think that's very important structurally. But the real issue is who they're hiring, where have they been, where do they come from, what's their backgrounds, what's their interest in ethical behavior. You and I have talked about this so many times. People like working for an ethical company, and people want to go into a company that is something that they feel good about, and they don't have to be living on pins and needles or with anxiety because the company isn't an ethical company. That's Again, that's foundational, and it starts when you hire people. That, having that discussion in that the interviews, that, that all-important interview process about ethics and how they feel about ethical decision-making, what a great way to start somebody coming into a company. And if you want to be transparent and you want to have people open in terms of communications, and all, that's where you start. So I, again, I think that's an important consideration for a company when it wants to change behavior or emphasize its behavior, start it at the hiring process because those are your new, the next generation. And I've heard you now talk about culture at the top. I've heard you talk about culture of potential employees and employees coming in through the hiring process. What about the middle management? How do you see their role in not only communicating culture, but also fostering an appropriate ethical culture? So I think I think it has to be more directed because these are people that have been at the company for a while, let's assume that. And you can't just throw culture and the words culture and all of the, the beautiful language around it and the idealistic considerations at people. They're making parts or they're working on a contract occasion. It's, that's not going to be helpful. But what I think is going to be helpful is let's say you create an internal control. And it might be, I'm going to use an example. We work with a company and they created a decision-making process called the authority matrix. And basically it was a process of spending where you have, people had certain authority, but then they had to go above them, above their um, position to get authority for higher spending. And then it really worked up the channel. And that wasn't just for spending, but it was for these larger decision-making efforts. And the way they indoctrinated people, so it became part of the culture, um, was through really three or four different ways of doing it. And I think it's a good way just of changing culture generally through an internal control. One is they educated everybody. So everybody understood this is this matrix. This is how it works. Beautiful, theoretical. Then they did some answering of questions like, why are we doing this? What's the importance of it? And they were educated on this could protect us from a corruption activity in a different situation where people are bribing people and spending money. So once they had a fundamental understanding of the why we're putting the control in place, that was a, that's that next step. Then you try it out. Let's put this in place. Let's see how it works. There's going to be mistakes. Let's work out the kinks. Let's you know, use it for this decision-making at this level for a period of time. Then, and this is where it works, then after it is fully implemented and people buy into it because they now understand why we're doing it, they see the benefits of it, it gets into the bloodstream. And when it's in the bloodstream, that's when you have an ethical sort of change in terms of how they think about things. That, Tom, I think that's one way of creating a, a sort of a change at the, that level. Then many of the strategies, tools, or techniques we might consider to implement a best practices compliance program, it seems to me you're talking about using many of those tools 
to actually go more foundational to culture. Would that be a fair assessment? Absolutely. When we do the assessments that we do, sometimes we do it, we call it at a high level. And we're looking at the program as written. But that's one thing. The reality is lots of companies have really strong written programs. Is it taking foothold within the company? That's what we like to look at. And that's where I think the company gets that, that's hired us gets the sort of the biggest bang is whether or not their program is effective. And effective is not just, oh, I read it and I signed off on it. Oh, I think it's a good thing. And I got training. It's do you live it? Do you live the values? Do you live the sort of aspirations that the company wants you to live? And do you start thinking and acting and making decisions in that fashion? I think it's the value of that. It's almost invaluable, right? For a company to have people to think that way. And unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but I was wondering if you might have three key takeaways for our audience on culture as a foundational internal control. Yeah, as we mentioned, it really does have to start at the top. They have to, there has to be buy-in by senior leadership in the organization that they want an ethical company. If they don't want an ethical company, then don't do it. But if they do, that's where you start. And then drilling down, as I said, for the second takeaway is hire ethical people. Hire people who aspire to the same types of goals, missions, and have the same beliefs that you have as a company. Find them. They're out there and have that conversation. And the third is the best way to change behavior within the organization structure is to create this sort of process, I've as I was describing, of create an internal control that you want to implement and do it so it becomes part of everyday, everyday life and conversation within the company so that you get by. Ben, now, unfortunately, we are at the end of our time, but I wanted to thank you for taking the time to visit me with me on this topic. Thanks, Tom. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you'll join us again tomorrow. This production of 31 Days to a More Effective Compliance Program is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.